0: Welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves podcast, coming at you solo this week with some thoughts about some of the things I've been thinking about and navigating and I've been getting a lot of questions about how do I decide to stay or go or, you know, when is the right time to leave and how do I know if I've done the work or not? Gosh, that's a very layered question. It's a tough question because there's so many things that impact that. And there's no right way. There's only your way. I think that just invites this truth that a lot of us avoid or are afraid of, which is you are really the authority of your life. You get to decide your life. And I I heard someone say the other day that I'm just going from each best next decision to each best next decision. And I love that because you can't get too far ahead. If you live in the future of what's possible, you miss out what's present. And if you live in the past of what's happened, you are not getting to be alive and awake and aware of all the things that are going on right now. So you know this idea of let the past be the past, let the future bring what it may, and let me handle today's business. And so today's business is about getting to know what is true, You know, so many of us are not connected to the actual truths of our lives. We, you know, my dad used to say this to me, still says it too, that very few people are actually capable of doing an accurate audit of their own lives, of who they are, of how they show up. And I think that's because we're afraid of the shame of the truth. You know, we grew up often in families that avoided a certain truth in that family, you know, the alcoholic parent, the sexual abuse, the physical abuse, the emotional abuse. It could be anything, the dysfunction of one of the children. It doesn't matter. But what often happens is it does matter what happened, but I'm saying the content of it doesn't matter in that the what matters is the systemic response to the thing, which is that The system learns how to pivot around the truth that no one wants to talk about. So then what happens unconsciously is we're taught to avoid truth. We're taught to, you know, figure out our own survival strategy to get our needs met so that we can make it and we can survive our childhood. And, you know, I think this is especially tough to identify for people who have seemingly healthy parents, you know, because we don't want to remove them from the pedestal of this idealized idolized. Um, both of them, but this idealized childhood. But the moment you can just accept and step towards this idea that your family is imperfect and you are imperfect and your parents are imperfect and they are the children of parents, you start to look at the relational patterns that navigate through our families. And, And the reason I bring this up in the context of what do I do now? Do I stay? Do I go? Do I fight? Do I not? It's about first just saying I'm curious, I'm not sure. And I'm open to learning and you watch what shows up for you because you're going to start to notice and claiming the truth, saying to your partner, hey, I feel disconnected right now. I really miss us. You know, I I really love when, as opposed to like, you never do this, we never do that, you know, and that's that shift from relationship, which is my relationship is not giving me what I want to, what does my relationship need from me? And that is a moment, right, of saying like, oh, wait, yeah, that's right. I show up to this. I'm responsible for this. I see a lot of people wake up in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s in relationships that were structured on old agreements from former versions of ourselves, from parts of us that we didn't know from societal and cultural shaping of what relationship meant and what romance meant and what love meant. I mean, often, especially for women, they woke up in relationships and wake up continuously in relationships that are really structured around the male needs. And I'm speaking heteronormatively here that, you know, I remember saying to my my ex that, when she declares what she needs in the relationship, it is an ultimate act of courage. You know, and I recognize that me declaring what I need and want in a relationship was really, it was courageous, sure, but it wasn't the same. Because relationships from the birth of of patriarchy are designed around male needs, meeting male needs. And so if you're male and you're listening to this and you're like, well, I've not had my needs met in relationship. Sure. I get that. This isn't I'm genderizing. I'm making I'm making generalizations that are often more true than not. And so that we can look at the system that is within that because for most of us when we hear something like, "Oh, men don't show up in relationship." Then men go, "But I show up in relationship." And what we're not hearing is the actual feedback, which is to hold space for that, the courageous nature that is required. For a woman to actually step into her power and share what she wants and step into her passion and purpose. And it has been such a beautiful experience for me. I, I mean, I grew up with a mom who is powerful, and I've been surrounded by powerful women my whole life. And I think in a lot of ways, I shrunk a lot and I, I feminized myself because I was afraid of masculinity. I was afraid of what it meant to be a male because. Growing up as a child in the 80s and 90s, I mean, especially today, I I couldn't imagine being a young man today, like 15, 16, 14, 13, especially because they can consume media on their own on their phone. And so we're not curating what they're seeing. But what we have to do is take the active effort of curating what they're making it mean. We have to keep open dialogues with our children. I'm not a parent. And I know that saying that you're the best you give the best parenting advice till you have children. So I take this all with a grain of salt, but we need to communicate that because what happens is, is we interpret it through our own lens. And the way I interpreted it through the media about men was that men are bad, men are rapists, men are murderers. But deep in the essence of myself was an emotionally, like quite emotional, sensitive. So I didn't fit the mold of what it meant to be a male. And I was good at sports, so that gave me male status in that sense. And... You know, I was kind of, I was chubby in junior high. And when I got thin, then all of a sudden I had a bit of status because I was perceived as good looking. And I say this all with humility. I'm not being arrogant about it. I'm saying that my status was derived from that. And I noticed that because I also knew what it was like to have no status when I was chubby, to know that no one took a second look at me. No, I didn't get the time of day from women that I was interested in. You know, I remember telling a girl that I liked her. I have an older brother who's a really fantastic guy. He's about the manliest man on the planet. He had a beard probably coming out of the womb. And I remember telling a girl in junior high that I liked her. And she's like, I like your brother. He has a beard. And I was like, yeah, fair point. I still, on a good month of growing, I still have the beard he has probably from just pushing. And that pushes his beard out of his face. Anyways, my... Point is, is that what we have learned about masculinity needs to be curated, same about femininity. And as a male, when you don't fit in the box you've been taught to fit in, realize that you get to choose. And I think that's true of all roles. So it doesn't matter. The context is like if you've told, been taught that this is what you're supposed to be. These are the jobs you're supposed to have. This is the way you're supposed to express. Don't be too much. Don't be too little. You know, like I'm not enough or I'm too much. These two places that all people navigate between. That's the human experience is to feel unworthy, to feel like I'm a lot because when we can't handle ourselves, we can't handle our children. When we can't handle the vast array of our own emotional experience, we can't handle someone else's. Emotion is the currency of the future. Getting to know your feelings and navigating them will get you more in life than anything else. The success in your life will be determined by the quality of your relationships, your ability to navigate them, that will determine your health, that will determine how you feel when you meet death's door will be based upon your relationships. Not how much fucking money you have, not the car you drive, the house you have. That None of that shit will matter, I guarantee it. When you have a finite amount of heartbeats left and you're you know it because you have them anyways, but you're you're face-to-face with it, you'll realize all the times you gave a shit about stuff that didn't matter. And when you made your life about shit that didn't matter. I see so much information that is sent out about, like, become a woman like this. Oh, men only love these types of women. You know, become a man like this. Get a Lamborghini. Drive a fucking car. You know what? Become the type of person who doesn't give a shit about those things. Become the type of man that all of a sudden doesn't give a fuck about a Lamborghini. Don't get me wrong. If you like Lamborghinis, you want to drive them. I'm not shitting on that. I'm just saying don't attach your self-worth to that. Don't attach how you love you to the outside affirmation of what it means to be a, good, a, a real man, quote unquote, or a woman. You know, I, I find that we often do not seek relational information, right, till we lose a relationship. And that's true of both sides. In the research, men have a higher tolerance for, uh, let's call it a low connective relationship, an ambivalent relationship. And it has, uh, in the research, less of an effect on our health. So we might wonder, right, questions like, why do women seek relational information? I mean, 80, over 80% of my following is female and and that's fascinating, right? Because there's probably men reading and listening to the podcast that don't publicly tell people that they do those things because we're not rewarded from a male perspective for celebrating our emotions and getting to know that we cry and that we're emotional. Look, like, it's human to have all of the emotions. It's not male or female or anything in between. It is human to cry. And you know that the chemical, like, all the... Neurohormones hormones and chemicals that get released when you cry tears of sadness are actually great for you, what you release in your body. They're not the same tears that come out when you cut an onion. Tears of sadness are chemically different than tears of joy. I mean, that is so beautiful to know that you have this plethora, this range of feeling to accept that, to know that, to invite that, to get to know it. But we are taught in this society that negative feelings, what we code negative feelings, are bad, so you shouldn't feel them. You should take a pill. You should plug it up. You should fuck it away, drink it away, love it away. And I'm saying get to know it. Get to know it because the more you can hold you, the more you can hold anybody else. If you're uncomfortable with people feeling things, you want to save them from rejection, from other feelings, it's because you don't know your own. It's because you run from your own. And I know that because I've done it. I know that. And it doesn't feel good because you feel like a prisoner in your own body. When you don't have connection to your emotional expression, there's so much that lives within us, in our stomachs, our guts. We end up in fight, flight, freeze. You know, we end up stuck. And it comes out in erratic behavior. It comes out in aggression. It comes out in being a dick. It comes out in lashing out. It comes out in shitting on people. It comes out in being reactive. It comes out in insulting people and hurting them. It comes out in ways that are slippery because it comes out. It comes out in illness, inflammation. Couples who have higher conflict relationships have uh, are more prone to leaky gut. They have higher inflammatory markers. In the research, high conflict relationships affect the carotid intermediate thickness the thickness of your carotid artery which is one of the greatest predictors of cardiovascular event future cardiovascular event with all of this i don't need to you know cite all this research but if you want it you can have it but I don't need to because that's obvious. It's obvious that we, if we are in states of high conflict, we are going to be in states of inflammation. Our body doesn't know the difference between uh, an assertive, aggressive, high conflict relationship, whether it's at work or at home or within ourselves, and a tiger. It doesn't know the difference. Your body is designed to save you. It's designed to get you moving. And you can get perpetually stuck in that. That's why you need to get to know your childhood. You need to get to know the parts that you hid What a beautiful journey. Such an awesome exercise is to find a picture of you as a child where you're happy, you know, and one maybe you look at nostalgically and longingly, and you put it as the screensaver on your phone or in your pocket. And whenever you see it, you send love to that part of you. And you might even be right now as you're listening to this. Have a memory. I have one of, actually, I have one of being like four and sitting on the toilet (laughs) and, and hearing my brother and and my sister, and and I'm thinking my parents, but other kids from around the neighborhood playing outside. I could hear them through the window, and I remember really because that was the backyard. And I remember really wanting to get back out there. And I remember playing hockey in the backyard, very Canadian, right? with my my dad and my brother and taking a wrist shot and hit my dad in the balls <laughs> right? and And it's about taking a look at that. Not me shooting a ball in my dad's balls. Dad, if you're listening to this, I love you. I'm sorry about that. But you had already had kids, so we're good. But it's about taking a look at that child and saying, I see you. I'm done hiding your essence, the joy, the love, the communication, the sadness, the grief, the anger. I'm going to get to know it all. And in spiritual language, they might call this the dark night of the soul where you turn towards the things you've rejected, the parts of yourself. Other spiritual language might call it the shadow. In psychology, well, Carl Jung is famous for talking about the shadow and getting to know it. But in more therapeutic settings, it it really wouldn't, I've mean, you know, in some, they would talk about it being that, the shadow. But you also might call it a psychotic break. You know, this space to sit through the thing the episode the thought the process i've been through a few of those in my life where you can feel the alchemization of the emotion within your body you can feel it resolving being seen being witnessed this stuff that we've never sat with and to do it beside a river or in a forest or even just in the safety of our own space with our head between our knees maybe it's in a yoga class in pigeon pose or child, uh, what's called child pose, where your hips, we store so much emotion in our hips, tightness in our hips, backs, lower backs, upper backs. It's amazing, right? When you start to learn that the body does really keep the score, the body holds these things. And so that really is what this is about. You know, your relationship outcomes, your relationship struggles are really just invitations, invitations to get to know yourself, to love yourself, to process something, maybe lots of things. I'm sure you've heard me say before that if it's hysterical, it's historical. If your response to something does not equal it, then you know you got some old shit coming up that you need to turn towards, that I can remind you to love, that you are so unconditionally worthy of that presence. I can remind you of that, but I can't give that to you. That's something you must give yourself. And if you don't give it to yourself, you'll seek it from people your whole life. It will drive you and you will call it chemistry. You will call it intuition. You will call it, and really it is, it's drawing you to things that you need to heal and change. And you know, whenever you make a declaration that is different than what you're getting in your life, then you know that there's a belief and a pain that's getting in the way of getting that thing. Cause otherwise we just choose towards it. You know, if I said, Hey, I'm going to go get sushi. I just go get sushi, right? It's that simple. But when I say I'm going to create a really beautiful relationship and then I don't, or I don't show up properly, or I seek people who are unavailable or who cheat, who lie. Then I know that there's something, uh, uh, an issue living below that. And that is the invitation for inquiry to first own, I do Attract unavailable people. I am drawn to that person. You know, so much of our victim mindset is about saying, but that person just found me. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) No, they did not. You know, we often say, like, why do I attract XYZ? The better question is, why are you a match for XYZ? And so this comes back to, you know, roundabout, squirrely way of how do you decide? To stay or go. How do you decide when enough is enough? There's a great book called Too Good to Stay, Too Bad to Leave. That's a great inquiry. I believe it's 39 questions that the author asked um, is, asks and it gives her clinical opinion and then like what the research says and then what she thinks based on her experience. It's a beautiful book. And in it, there's some really great questions that I tend to ask people anyways. One is, is staying or going abandoning yourself? It's a great question. If everything, if this person resolved everything and did everything and changed everything, would you want them? Are you afraid of being shown up for and receiving love? Are you addicted to chaos when someone actually wants to love you? Do you sabotage it? Do you run from it? These are just such important moments of inquiry because what lives below the inability to face someone to love us who can give us gifts and take care of us. And I, and in that what faces us is an inability to receive people can give love all day. They'll buy presents. They'll take care of everyone. I mean, that's the nature of of most people's lives. If you're in any form of healing modality, you're a teacher, a nurse, a caregiver, a healer, a coach, a a psychotherapist, a physio, name the thing. Likely it is in service of our survival strategy to take care of other people's needs, to pivot based on other people, to help them, to heal them. Really, it can be the nurturing of our own codependency operating with a paycheck. Right, calling my own ass out on that, right? Because you gotta learn boundaries. This is that identification of I'm an empath, I take care of people. I blah, 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 blah. All these justifications for not drawing a circle around who we are. But you gotta learn to fill your own cup. You gotta learn to take care of you. You gotta learn to love yourself. And that's such a esoteric fucking circle jerk, right? To say that, and pardon my language, that just flowed through me. But it is, you know, it's this like, we speak this language, but what the fuck does it even mean to love yourself? That shit is spewing out all over the internet. Google it, I'm sure there's a zillion hits. I mean, masturbation is self-love, you know? Really, it is, getting to know yourself, getting to explore yourself, knowing that you can receive. That's why oral sex is more intimate than sex, than penetrative sex. I really stretched that word out. Sorry about that. But it is because you have to receive. You also, if it's not going the way you want it to, you declare what you'd actually like, unless you want to leave them down there, losing their goddamn mind, jaw falling asleep, tongue falling out of their head. When literally you could just say, Hey, could you do this? Or, Hey, can I help you down there? That's why sexual challenges are generally really good magnifying glasses of relational challenges. I don't want to be intimate with them. Of course you don't. You don't feel safe. I have a hard time opening up and being vulnerable with them. Of course. Makes sense. There's no security there. You don't feel like other needs are being met. You don't feel like you're safe to unfold. Trust your body. Trust your feelings. This is about learning to trust oneself. Getting to know oneself. And when you make deposits in your own life and you spend time with yourself and you sit present with yourself, what happens is, is you communicate to yourself that you're worthy of that. When you say no more of these behaviors from yourself, you will not tolerate those behaviors from someone else. And that's why there's that famous quote that the relationship with yourself will set the benchmark for every relationship with in your life. And you've probably been taught that it's selfish to take care of you, especially if you're female or you identify as female, you'll be taught, hey, it's about everyone else. It's about keeping relationship together. It's about keeping it all, all looking good and fine. There's nothing going on here. Don't pay attention here. Everything's fine here. No, it's not. We're losing our fucking minds. And what a beautiful thing to say, it's not fine, I'm not okay. Because maybe you're not. Let's start there. You're not alone. Most of us aren't okay. That's how we move. That's how we get to okay. That's how we go from, hey, I'm at the bottom. I meet you there. I know the bottom. The bottom's a gift. Can't scrape any lower. You found it. Now what? When you're at the bottom, you got all the reason in the world to not put on another fucking mask. To not pretend. To give birth to who you are. What is your authentic self? that you discover below the needs of everyone else, below what you were taught. Who are you? What an inquiry that is. Who am I? There's pain in that question because what we do is we see all of the masks we've worn. Persona, used to be a list and I believe it's Roman or Greek theater of the different characters of the play. The persona, the mask we wear. And when you're at the bottom, you can see them. They're laying around the floor beside you. Some of them served you. They all served you. They served you to survive, to get social status, to keep it together, to take care of everyone else. But they don't serve you anymore. And when you actually look at your relationship invitations, this idea, what do I do now? This is how you get to know yourself. When I said that, most people wake up within relationship and they go, holy fuck, how did I get here? I forgot about me. I forgot about me. And and I see the the immense amount of struggle that is for both genders in the heteronormative sense here. Because I'm speaking historically, the struggles for both is is one is stuck in a prison of taking care of everyone and never taking care of their own needs. The other one is stuck in a prison of having everything be about them, which when you're in that narcissistic isolated space, which you were taught to be in, you are disconnected from the immense range of your feelings. You are living in a prison in your own body without emotional expression. And when you do express, you are seen as less manly less of what you've built your whole identity upon and so in the fracturing in that in the breaking away of the mask of that armor is so much vulnerability and sensitivity because you have to be ready to lose what it means to quote-unquote be masculine and so both people are invited to the complete dissolution and dismantling of their identities of the patriarchy of all these inherited systems But both people are witnessed. And so when one person wakes up in a relationship and pursues and desires to be witnessed, they first off often blame the partner for the reason they're in the trapped space, the prison. But both people are in a prison. The agreements that the relationship was built upon were agreements we were generally taught. And so when we wake up and want to change the agreements, we usually want to tell our partner, I got to get rid of you. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes the partner doesn't want to change. They don't want to grow. They're afraid. And it's usually the male. And so I say this with love, with so much love and compassion, because I know that it takes so much to hear, I don't feel connected to you anymore. I don't feel safe with you. I don't love you. But they don't love who you've had to be. They love your essence. They want to get to know your essence because they want their essence to be seen. We all want to be held in our authentic space, the safety to be ourselves. This is so true of businesses too. People of today want to have the psychological safety to be themselves. Will you love me when I show you all of me? And that's such a mutual exchange that's required, but someone has to go first. And usually the first inquiry is, let's go to therapy. Let's read this book. I miss you. I need you to be more tender with me. And that can be any construct of human experience. And it takes so much to reach into that spot and say, you're right. I do need to be more tender with you. But I need to be more tender with me too. I need to get to know me. I need to uncover who I am. And so both people go in this journey where they shatter the codependent structure of the relationship, which is basically all relationship structure till it's not. And what happens is, is the first person undergoes an individuation. That is the, I'm gonna create a circle around who I am and actually discover who I am. I don't even know who the fuck I am. And the other person goes, that terrifies me because if you discover who you are, you might discover who I am and you might not like that because our mass fell in love with each other. That was way easier. We just pretended that was so much easier. But now you're saying, I don't want to pretend anymore. And I'm saying, I'm terrified. I don't know what it's like to be all of me. And not everyone's going to accept that invitation into themselves. But that's usually because the safety of the relationship is rocky. So sometimes it's about saying you're free to become all of you and I love you. I'm not going anywhere. How do I inquire with you? How do I get to know me in this journey? How do I not lose you and get to know me? But, you know, the, if you're not able to lose a relationship, you will generally not be able to operate as yourself in that relationship because you'll correlate who you need to be to the connection and the, main, the maintaining of the commitment, quote-unquote commitment. Because what happens is, is the commitment is made from the voice of the persona of the mask. And so when it comes from a voice that's outside the mask, it says, I need to be able to say that I'm not fucking happy. And if it means this relationship has to end, then that's okay, because I need to claim what's true. So many of us are so busy saying, but you made a commitment to what? To truth or to who we are or to this idea of what a relationship is, to hiding ourselves to maintain the system. Come out, step out, you're free to become, to join that inquiry, to decide. Because if you don't accept the invitation for growth and expansion from your partner, in the long run, they'll leave you. That's just the truth. And maybe even in the short run, And it usually starts with small seeds of please, I just need you to listen. Things aren't okay. And you gotta put your shame and your shit aside to say you're right. I'm ready to learn that I'm not good at things, that my self-worth has been attached to being a good provider. You don't see all the things I do. Not right now. Not right now they might not because what they see It's not what you do, but how you both feel. And when you make it not about where your worth used to live in your roles that you live, and you make it about being connected and showing up and making truth more important than anything. So the truth is is in that first inquiry of what do I do? It's always about get to know you, get to love you, get to expand you, ask more questions within yourself, step towards yourself more. And really start that journey of breaking out of the prison and make truth more important than anything, being connected to yourself. If you lose people and systems because you step into your authentic self, then then they can't hold you. And that's okay because usually the people who have problems with you setting it down the mask and breaking out into authenticity are the people who are pissed off that they're still wearing the mask. So they'll resist. The truth is always that I don't care what you choose. I just care that you get more connected to yourself, that you honor yourself and you do it with grace and kindness and love. And you get to know that the plethora of your human experience because I will not judge you for what you choose. I don't care because I don't live on a construct that this is right or wrong or anything like that. Those are all constructs. And it's such an inspiring thing to see someone step towards themselves and break free. And so it is with great compassion and great humility and and all the things to tell you that I don't know what it's like to be in your shoes or to go through the many different intersections of oppression you might have. Because I come from a straight white male perspective in Canada and I recognize that. And so I can't know what it's like to be you, but I can tell you that I'm inspired by what you choose and I'm here to support you through that, to love you through that. I don't know you personally, but I promise you that's true that in that container of your own choice will be the invitation to surround yourself with other people like that. And that's a gift. So thank you for that gift. When you heal you, you heal the world. Let's keep it up.